0: Welcome to Rising Tide, a podcast for career-driven women to find inspiration, find courage, and find their voice. On today's episode, I'm joined by Maggie Palmer. The gender pay gap is well-documented and truly hit mainstream in April of 2020 when Netflix aired an episode on their Explained series, Why Women Are Paid Less. But this awareness has come to the forefront thanks to women like Maggie, who became aware of the discrepancy in pay in her own job and refused to accept this. Instead, she pulled on her network and experience as a journalist to make a difference bigger than just for herself. So what happened was, so I had my experience, which was kind of rubbish. And so
1: I kind of just started helping mates or other people like friends who were getting screwed on pay or one of my friends was quite high profile. She got sacked while she was pregnant people like that sort of started coming to me and being like, what should I do? And what did you do? And was it worth it? And mm. you know, how do they treat you and what happens? And should I get a lawyer? And so I just started helping people as you do, of course. And so
0: I was like, well, I'm only one person. So how could we scale this? Today, she is the founder and CEO of Pep Talk Her, a company on a mission to close the gender pay gap and get 50, 50 men and women in leadership by delivering corporate programming online curriculum for women looking to supercharge their career, and the Pep Talk Her app that has helped over 60,000 users negotiate a pay raise. On this episode, we hear what led Maggie to leave a 15-year career in journalism and foreign correspondence to launch Pep Talk Her. And she shares so many insights through her work, including the importance of extending grace to yourself, the networking principle of give, give, get, and establishing boundaries and prioritizing work. This is a great episode and can't wait for you to meet Meggie. Enjoy. Welcome to Rising Tide, Meggie. Thanks for having me. Oh gosh, I'm so excited.
1: (laughs) Uh, Likewise, this is going to be fun. And also we both have the same name. I'm a Margaret as well,
0: technically. (laughs) I know, you know, it's such a special place in my heart because I'm named after my grandmother and she went by Meg. And up until I met you, she was the only other Margaret I knew that went by Meg or Meggie. And it was because my grandfather just decided to call her that one day in college and everyone just thought her name was Meg.
1: Wow. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I'm also named after my grandmother, my mother's mother. And she, she went by Meg, but then I get Meggie and I've always had Meggie since I was a child. And it's interesting. My cousin is also Margaret, but she gets Margaret or Meg, but I get meggy So anyway, there you go. <laughs>
0: Yes. Margaret is one of those, like, if you meet somebody that's like not 80 years old, like chances are she's yeah, after somebody yeah, who is. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so excited to have you on. And I, you know, our paths crossed a couple years mm-hmm. ago right. in the height of the pandemic. And I attended a webinar that was hosted by Salesforce and you were moderating a panel of powerhouse women. And I remember at the time, I didn't know who you were. It was my first exposure to, to pep talk her but I was so blown away by you and your ability to navigate this panel. And I knew you were somebody I needed to be connected to. So this is like a full circle moment. Oh, well, (laughs) this is going to be fun. What a treat. Yes. Well, you know, it's so interesting because I, I want to start with pep talk her and what you're doing today. I am so intrigued by what you're doing and you have a very ambitious mission. In five years to have 50-50 female leaders in the corporate world, one, love this so much. I'm so curious, like maybe what spurred it? And then how do you see going about impacting getting women into leadership with men?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a big question, isn't it? Well, Mm why don't I start at the start? So basically my former life, I was a journalist I was born in Australia. That's where I started my career, hence my accent. And I migrated (laughs) to the United States five years ago now. And the reason, bit of a long story short, but yeah, I I spent a long time as a journalist, which I loved. It was an amazing career, you know, and I was like traveling all around the world and all around the country and ended up living in London for the BBC world over there and, and traveling. And, you know, I was like in and out of like Nepal and Syria and Zimbabwe and like, you know, having access to amazing people and stories, which was such a privilege. And it's interesting, Margaret, because, you know, there's a couple of turning points that I can identify in my career. And one of them was a negative turning point. And it was when I realized quite accidentally, because someone told me that my pay and the conditions that I was contracted under were actually quite different Mm. to the gentleman who I worked alongside And so when I found out, I was like, oh, what? Well, that was, oh, they just made a mistake. I was so naive. I thought it was a mistake. I was like, oh, I'll just tell them and they'll just fix it. Um, (laughs) No, Maggie, no, they did not fix it. It was not a mistake. And, you know, I I raised it because I was kind of raised as a kid to like, if you see something, say something, you know, but it didn't go down well. They were like, oh, if you don't like it, why don't you quit? Or um, we'll see you in court. And I was like, hmm. You guys suck. <laughs> so, <laughs> long story short, that was my lived experience. And I appreciate, to be fair, you know, this was, you know, early to mid career, I guess, but it was really probably, Margaret, like the only, I mean, there'd been, of course, I've experienced discrimination. Of course, I've experienced bias in my life and my career, but nothing major. And I appreciate that, you know, as a middle class white woman, part of that is because of my privilege. And there's been a lot of people listening today who lived with discrimination from a very very young age and so in some ways it's a first world problem that it took me until my mid-20s to kind of go through that but when I did I was like this is bullshit frankly I was like you can't like you can't do this and so I was like, I don't know what to do about this. And I, I, again, I was pretty naive. I didn't know that the gender pay gap was a thing. I didn't know that we earn, you know, 15 to 20% less, depending on how you crunch the numbers. I didn't know that we were more likely to become homeless older in life because of, because of the pay gap, because of the retirement gap. And so that became kind of a big problem that I wanted to figure out. How could you solve it? And so ultimately that's Pep Talker's mission is to mm. solve the gender gap from a pay perspective and ultimately from a leadership perspective, because we know, Margaret, and you know this from your work, like the more women we can get into leadership roles, the more their pay is going to go up, right? And the more they're going to make decisions and hiring decisions and team decisions based on their experiences. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what informed me to, to start Pep Talker.
0: Oh my gosh. You know, it's always so tricky to decide where I want to go. There's several things I want to go to. First one is, you know, how did you go about learning and understanding? So when this happened, right, like to your point, like this was a surprise to you, it caught you off guard. How did you go start learning and understanding that this is actually a much bigger issue and unfortunately was not an isolated experience for you or even in journalism? Yeah. And it's not isolated.
1: And I will, and actually journalism is not even the worst of it. Like, as I understand it, certainly, you know, right now, as i recording this podcast, the financial services industry and the insurance industry have the largest gender pay gap. And I should say as well, yes, there is a gap that works against women. That gap is so much worse for women of color. So for black women, for Latina women, for indigenous women, it is even worse, you know, so we, we have a battle that we have to fight on behalf of, of all of us really. And you know, people living with a disability or, you know, there's, there's so many biases that, that exist in the workplace that manifest often from a pay perspective, which is not fair. So I'm a journalist by training. Right. And so <laughs> I spoke to experts. Mm-hmm. I flew to Stanford met with some amazing experts there who were very generous with their time and had a conversation with me. And I said to them, I want to start an app. I want to solve this problem using an app. And they were like, that's cute. You can't, but you know, good luck. And I was like, cool, I'm going to do it anyway. So, um, (laughs) so we built the app anyway, but you know, and it's interesting because researchers, you know, there's, there's people all around the world doing amazing research on, on the challenge of the gender pay gap. And the way that they've explained it to me, and I think this is helpful for a lot of listeners. So the gender pay gap exists for a bunch of different reasons, right? So one of the reasons is that women are more likely to take time out of the workforce. So we're more likely to take time off for kids, for caring responsibilities, that kind of thing. So you can actually account for that. So the smart data number people can actually strip that out of the data and there's still a gap, right? So they can actually account for that. Okay, so that's fine. So that's one thing. The second thing is that, Women are more likely to be in roles, or we have been socialized to go into jobs that are lower paid. Mm. So, for example, childcare, you know, nurses are paid less than, for example, male dominated industries where we see pay is actually a lot higher. So, that's another reason for the overall gender pay gap. But again, they can strip that out of the data. So, we can actually remove that. And even then, so once you've taken out mm you know, time out of the workforce, once you've taken out the choice of jobs that people make, I say choice with inverted commas because it's a whole nother story. It's not necessarily (laughs) our choice. And we know that when more women flow into an industry, pay actually goes down, which is a whole nother conversation. But the point is that there is still a gap, even when you take those parts out. And that is the part that experts who are much smarter than I am reckon is because of unconscious bias and discrimination. So ultimately, that's what we're fighting against. So this is, yeah. listen, Margaret, like I would love to be out of a job tomorrow right. and I would love to start my next business. And Pep Talker was like a great community of 60,000 women that we built and we helped people get raises and isn't that great? Yeah. But the sad thing is, is that the United Nations records it's going to take one to 200 years to close the gap. And a part of that is because it's generational, you know, and we, we all have bias. The way we were raised as kids, what we saw our parents do, how our grandparents treated us. All of those things actually inform who we are, what we believe, how we behave. And so some of those behaviors in small increments actually find themselves, you know, in the way that we behave at work. And so this is a huge problem and it's going to take government intervention and policy intervention. It takes business commitment. And I also believe that like I don't kind of want to wait for that though either because you know like (laughs) once 200 years is kind of outrageous you know (laughs) so my you know pep talker is is really at the grassroots level so on the community side it's kind of like grassroots up and then on the b2b side when we work with fortune 500 it's kind of on the business side of things but it takes policy and legislation as well like we can't do it on our own either
0: yeah yeah oh my gosh I'm getting all the feels over here and I just it's so great hearing you talk about these topics and I think really kind of breaking it down too. I, and I'm really curious, you know, this is such an interesting thing because going back to you saying, you know, when this happened and going and speaking with experts at Stanford and then having the idea, where did the idea for the app come from? So what happened was, so I had my
1: experience, which was kind of rubbish and then I was pretty stressed by it. And again, it's a first world problem. I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, I know there's bigger issues in the world, And uh, but I did find it quite stressful at the sure. time. And so I kind of just started helping mates or other people, like friends who were getting screwed on pay or one of my friends was quite high profile. She got sacked while she was pregnant. People like that sort of started coming to me and being like, "What's what should I do? And what did you do? And was it worth it? And mm. you know, how do they treat you? And what happens? And should I get a lawyer? And so I just started helping people as you do, of course, blah, blah, blah. And it just snowballed and then more people and then someone's cousin's sister's brother would, you know, like ask for advice. And so I was like, well, I'm only one person. So how could we scale this? Like, how can we help people at scale? And of course, tech, in my opinion, is one of the best ways to create scale. And so that's why I was like, this needs to be a tech platform. We worked with a behavioral psychologist from a behavior change perspective and, you know, the Pep Talker app, which is free that your listeners can check out to download. It's just Pep talk her, But the app has reminder notifications built into it. And I wanted it to be something that was like, that would prompt you, that would remind you, and that would kind of motivate you. And so the app kind of, an app felt like the best way to do that. Cause it would kind of live on your phone and just kind of remind you being like, Margaret, what's up? Like, what are you really stoked about this week at work? So then you could kind of be like, oh yeah, I closed that deal. or Oh, I recorded that episode. Or, you know, that client gave me that great piece of feedback. You could screenshot it or enter it into the app and have it in the one place. So, I mean, I'm not a tech founder, right? Like I don't, I'm not a very good coder. I'm a shocking coder actually. I'm so bad. Um, And we, we have a team that do the coding for us. So I kind of have the idea and they execute, you know. But yeah, it, the app was because I wanted it to be native on someone's phone and kind of with them as, as something that could give them a pep talk at all times, right? That was kind of the the vision behind it.
0: I love that. I love that. And I love I love that thought process too of like uh, this is something that like clearly there's a need there's a lot of people coming it keep like this is you know how can I scale the impact of this and yeah that makes so much sense too to be able to to leverage technology okay so there's another question that popped up in my mind which is you know you mentioned like you're like I'm not a tech founder but you are Have you always been somebody that's like taken on new things that are unfamiliar? Cause I could see like, sometimes this can be a blocker, right? Like, I know, um, we just had Kristen sling on the podcast not long ago, and she really focuses on underrepresented groups that non-technical founders who want to start tech companies. And that's a huge hurdle to get over. So I'm curious how, maybe how you went from like idea to actually starting to put something together. And if any like sort of imposter voice started kicking in, like how did you shut that thing down? Of course, and it's funny. Imposter
1: syndrome is a topic that we talk about a lot, and it's one of the most popular topics that our corporate clients actually bring us into host conversations and masterclasses about because we know that it impacts seventy percent of the population, right? Seventy percent of us experience imposter syndrome. So yeah, I mean, of course. Like, listen, I still feel like an imposter sometimes today. I don't have all of the answers, but I will say like, there's never been a better time to start a company. And I think even if you didn't study computer science at school, like me guilty did not, (laughs) even if you don't know the difference between Java and Python right now, like you, you can figure it out. And there are very smart, very kind people who can help you, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think the most important thing really is to have a challenge or a pain point or a problem that you care about, that you want to fix, you know, that you want to solve for the world. And then that's the priority. Once you figure out what that is, you can kind of walk it back from there. Tech is not always the best option. Mm-hmm. And I get a lot of people who ask me, like, should I build an app? I'm like, I mean, you can, but it's like really hard. It's really hard. It's ex- I mean, it's not that hard. Like, it's, it's not that hard. But like, it is expensive. It is challenging. You have to update it. Stuff goes wrong. And it's not always the best solution. Like, sometimes you could just start an email newsletter. And that would be just as good. Or sometimes you can just start an Instagram page. Or sometimes maybe you just host an event once a year and it achieves the same purpose. But it is exciting. And I think you don't have to be a coder and be the CFO and be all across Facebook ads at the same time. You know, I know when you, like, we're still a small business. We've obviously grown, but we're still small. So I have to, as a CEO, I have to be jack of a lot of trades, but not all trades anymore. And, you know, I had a product manager who worked with me to build the app. I couldn't have done it without him, frankly. I couldn't have done it without our dev team either, but it's possible. It is possible. And there's so many cheap solutions now. It doesn't cost millions of dollars to build an app anymore. It's a lot cheaper these days.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. I want to go back in time because, you know, I think everyone hopefully by now has a flavor of just what a force of nature you are. And so I think what's so interesting is like, where did you come from? And you touched on, you had a 15 year career as a journalist and foreign correspondent. And when you were opening up, I mean, you've traveled the world, you've lived in several places around the world. Let's just go with, how did you get into journalism to begin with?
1: Uh, Yes. It was a bit of an accident. I mean, I studied journalism. (laughs) I studied, I, I did two degrees. So I studied business and I studied journalism and I was actually dating this guy. Like, I mean, we went on like two dates or whatever And he was like bragging and he was like, yeah, I'm doing work experience at this TV network. And, and in my head, I was like, what, you're not even very good in class. I'm way better than you. And like, why haven't I thought about doing work experience? And I kind of felt stupid. I was like, oh shoot, I really need to like get ahead of the curve here. If he's doing that, I better hurry up and figure it out. So then I was like, oh, so then I went and spoke to some lecturers And I was like, I want to do work experience too. But it was only because this guy had kind of mentioned it. I didn't even, I was so naive. I had no idea how you eventually got jobs and stuff. So I got work experience. And then of course, that was, you know, how I ended up, long story short, getting my first offer to be a reporter when I was still studying at university. So it was a bit of a weird, like (laughs) random story that I ended up there. But journalism for me, like I love people. I love stories. I like doing different things every day. And so getting out of the office, you know, meeting people, traveling on the road, like that suits my personality. So yeah, it was, but it's such a privilege. Journalism is a, is a true privilege as a career.
0: I mean, it's incredible what you've done. And I think like, you know, definitely it's not for everyone. I mean, there's so much when looking at it from the outside, it looks like a lot of change. Like I was looking at like 2010, this, this year I'm so intrigued by, because when I look at you on paper, what I see is somebody who had three jobs and launched a business in one year, which is insane. So actually let's, let's do that. Let's go to this 2010, because you were co-director at the discovery network for the big five challenge, which was in Zimbabwe. You were a director the animal planet for karina wild and safari also in zimbabwe and then you were also a broadcast journalist with bbc news and then you launched (laughs) sliding door media well and this is the thing
1: as a journalist and a producer you know at that point i was freelance right so i was kind of going from project to project so yeah i was in zimbabwe for a while, probably don't watch that show. It was pretty terrible on reflection, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, it was good fun. We had good fun filming it. That's a whole nother story. But yeah, so I, I when I moved to London, I was freelance. So mm-hmm. I worked for a bunch of different networks all around the world. Sometimes it was covering news. Sometimes I was directing and producing TV shows. Sometimes I was directing documentaries. And I don't know if anyone listening has ever done Gallup Strength Finders profiling. Mm-hmm. We actually, it's one of the modules we run. We, we have a, an eight-week program that we run twice a year to support women looking for raises and promotions. And actually, we do we do Gallup Strength Finders as part of that. And for me, when I did some coaching around that, my strengths, one of my strengths is activator, which yeah. means that I love to start projects. I have lots of ideas. And so freelance reporting and directing was, you know, perfect really for my personality type because I like that excitement. I like getting things going, right? So yeah, so that was that was back. Gosh, that's a long time ago now. That was back when I was living in Europe.
0: Yeah, it was good fun. Oh my gosh, that's so. Tell us a little bit more, because my understanding with freelance is that you know, again, like you, these were. You know, projects that were you know a couple of of months at a time, but I mean, it's it's freelance work, so it's not a stable paycheck. It's not like you're working, you know, you're working with you know an established company or a brand, but you're not an employee. What's it like working freelance versus be like working for a company? Do you have a preference over Um, one or the other?
1: I don't know. Like, I think when I like. I mean, full-time is nice because you have a regular paycheck, right? You have benefits and then freelance, you kind of, it's dependent on your relationships and opportunities that are presented to you. Right. So if there's a lot of work around, that's great. If there's not, then it's kind of stressful. I didn't mind it though. I loved it because I, when I was living in Europe, I was, I was young. I was like traveling, whatever. So it was kind of perfect. You know, I'd jump on the Eurostar and go to Paris for the weekend and just turn down shifts because I wanted to, I don't know, eat croissants and drink beer in France or whatever. So it was, yeah, I didn't mind it, but I think it just depends on the stage of life too. Right. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have kids. So I guess it kind of depends on where you're at in your stage of life.
0: Yeah. I mean, that makes a ton of sense. And I think there's, you know, again, it's just so interesting listening to you talk about it because we're coming from a very different perspective of being like, maybe it's more adorable, but I'd be like, Oh my gosh, kid, I turn this down. Should I turn this down? Should I be working? Like, how did you balance, right. you know, doing things for that, you know, that you wanted to do versus like taking, taking work?
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a tough one. I think I, when I left, I had a full-time role in Australia and then I left to move over. I did some travel um, and some volunteering in South America and then, and then moved to Europe and it was, it was like a season in life for me. You know, and I say this to a lot of my coaching clients is like, I feel like there's seasons. There's seasons to do the wild hours at work, right?
0: Yeah.
1: There's seasons to not take a backseat, but to kind of, sometimes you need to recuperate yeah. after a trauma or after a family issue or after a toxic boss. Sometimes it's okay to take an easier road, yeah. right? An easier career or a nine to five. You may, you know, maybe you're used to doing an 80 hour week and you're like, what? You know, I, I took one of those jobs at one point. And it's actually sometimes what you need because, you know, you can't, I I feel like you need to find the balance of like your personal life, your work life, and then your friendships and community as well. So for me, living in Europe was a season of fun, of travel, of saying yes, of doing all those things. The work was kind of great, you know, and I was lucky that I had great work at the BBC and CNBC and stuff, but it wasn't my priority. At that point, the priority was really Making memories and, and traveling.
0: Right. Right. And that makes so much sense. And I think that's such a important call out too. I love this idea of seasons of life and that, yeah. you know, that and really I think that kind of tuning in with yourself of what you need in that phase. And it's interesting. I just saw a post today on Instagram and she was talking about like it's not lazy. Basically, when you're in this case it was burnt out and like all your energy is going to just surviving. Like that's not lazy. That's just where your energy needs to go. And not every season will be like that, but but you know, kind of having the compassion for yourself of like giving yourself what you need.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a lot of pressure that we put on ourselves nowadays. Right. Margaret, like there's this pressure to be like, you know, successful and financially secure and Instagram perfect. And, yeah. you know, a good aunt or a good mother or a cousin or a daughter, what it like, it's a lot and to be fit and to be healthy and to volunteer. And it's, it's a lot. And I think giving ourselves grace to be in a season and maybe you're in a season of health, maybe you're in a season of work. And so other things have to give to an extent. And I think, yeah, your, your colleague is right in that. Like it's not lazy to not be able to do it all. It's just, it's not reasonable to expect right. and do it all. Like that's, what's unreasonable is that expectation. And you don't have to put that on yourself. Right. Like you don't actually have to accept that. I just feel like you, there are actually boundaries you can put in place right. to reject that and say, I'm actually, I'm actually not accepting that stress or I'm not accepting that friendship in my life anymore. Cause it's not, it's not actually bringing me joy or it's not serving me anymore. So I'm actually going to draw a line in the sand and call it whether it's a toxic job a toxic friendship relationship bad food that you you know might be eating as a chocoholic guilty over here (laughs) you know like it's like at some point you actually you actually have the choice to say no it's not always an easy choice and people don't always like the choices that you make but you do have that ability a lot of the time to to make those choices and put boundaries in place
0: yeah. Yeah. You've mentioned that you've had the good fortune of working with some great brands and that you did have some works that you jobs that you could do during this time. What would you attribute that to? Like, how did you put yourself in a position to be able to work with some incredible brands and, and organizations? What types of things did you do to allow for that?
1: So I think, you know, it's interesting when I, when I look across my career, back when I was at university, I used to work at a brewery, you know, and now I run <laughs> a coaching company really like a company and a tech company i suppose that that supports our community but it's also a consulting company that supports fortune 500 companies so mm-hmm. it's pretty random and there's <laughs> obviously journalism in between but the thread and i think one of the transferable skills throughout all of those career journeys is really people mm-hmm. and relationships and I, I don't think it matters if you're an accountant if you're an engineer if you're a rocket scientist i think that people and relationships is crucial You know, like if you're working for Tesla or if you're working for a bank, like you you have to spend time and invest in relationships because that is what is going to mean that you have options coming to you. And I always say to my students, like, you need to have a plan B. You can think that you have a stable government job. You can think that you have a stable teaching job or you can think that you're on a rocket ship startup that's the next Uber or the next whatever, whatever successful company you want to, I don't know if we actually say Uber's (laughs) that successful, but uh, that's probably a bad example. But, you know, look at Theranos, for example. A lot of people went to work there and gave up really amazing jobs and equity and it was a disaster. So you have to have a plan B because we don't know what life's going to throw at us. We don't know the next COVID's around the corner. We don't know, you know, the CFO's been embezzling money and the company goes bankrupt. You just never know. And so for me, it's been really important to always have, a strong community of people who support you in your career. And when I moved to New York, I met a woman, she's awesome. And she said to me, her philosophy around networking is give, give, get. Mm. So, mm. cause a lot of people, I think have this negative connotation about networking and they're like, Ooh, it's skeezy and it's gross. and like, you know, it's like salesy and, ugh. but actually when you frame it from the perspective of give, give, get, It's like, how can you give something to this intern? How can you give something to this executive who you've met at a cocktail party? You know, what what can you give to someone who you've met? A colleague up, down, below you in the organization, doesn't matter. How can you support them? Does it mean that you like their LinkedIn post? Does it mean that you retweet their tweet? Does it mean that you say, hey, I didn't know you had a daughter studying interior design. We actually take interns. If you ever wanted me to connect them with the intern team, let me know right? Like what, what is it that you can give people? Cause right. thinking about it from that perspective of service is very valuable because what happens is as humans, we want to reciprocate. We want to support, you know, people who support us. Right? right. And so I just think that like actually caring about people and genuinely connecting them and supporting them and offering them advice or cheering them on, or, yeah. you know, if you work at a company, giving them work opportunities, if you if your friends or colleagues start businesses, you know, that actually pays huge dividends in the long run from a relationship perspective. So that's, you know, I, I I always say to people, I haven't applied for a job since I I used to work at Burger King when I was like 15. I haven't applied for a job since then. And I'm in my, like, I'm in my mid thirties now. Like I just, because it's all come through word of mouth, right? People knew people who knew people or referrals.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you're hitting on something so big and such a, common theme I've seen on this podcast is where you know a major driver for the women and their careers has been that emphasis on relationships and it is a form of networking and that idea I love the give give get great isn't it Mm -hmm. it's so so good you know what I'm wondering and I'm really curious how you handle this because again of how much you're involved in you do have so much on your plate with what you're growing with pep Talker. How do you balance the, the give, you know, where it's like finding the line of like being protective of yourself and your time, yeah. but also like helping people out and, you know, wanting to have those relationships and wanting to, to give, how do you strike your balance? Yeah, it's hard, isn't
1: it? And I think boundaries are important. And so my team knows these are our priorities. This is what we are prioritizing, and so if emails come in or if requests come in and they align with those priorities, then it's a yes. Yeah. If it's very divergent from our priorities, it's probably a no. And if it's in the gray area, then this is the decision matrix that you use to to make a call, right? And I think as you get busier, and I've certainly found that as the business has grown. You know, I say I say no to more things now. So we don't, you know, yeah. we don't have capacity to do as much unpaid work anymore. Yeah. So we we obviously have pro bono partners who we work with for workshops and speaking engagements and stuff. But we can't say yes to everything that's free now. We just can't. Like I would love to, but we just we don't. I don't have the time in the day, and that's like a means to an end for the long term because I know as the business grows and as our profit grows, we can actually give back in a bigger way through advocacy and lobbying at the at the macro government level. And so I think it's also about putting in place boundaries and not feeling guilty. And you yeah. can't say yes to every, can I pick your brain email or call? You can't, you can't say yes to every unsolicited. Can I take you for a coffee? You can't do that, but you can have templates set up that direct them to a blog post that you've written or that suggest that they follow you on LinkedIn or Here's a free cheat sheet that we have about how to ask for a raise. Check out peptalker.com forward slash pay me more. You know, like you can, you can still add value in a way that is not going to necessarily be prohibitive on your time. And, you know, I have an assistant and that, that helps because it kind of allows me to scale my time somewhat because she can kind of triage and that kind of stuff. But I think a lot of the, a lot of the times I do hear a lot of women say they feel guilty about saying no, and I I, I just find the older I get, the less guilty I feel <laughs> because, because there's the a bigger there's a bigger picture in mind, and you know yes. maybe when I'm fifty or and retired, I can say yes to everything, you know, and I can do all those things. But right now, I have to triage and I have to focus on the success of the business and keeping my team employed and growing and growing our capacity to do more advocacy work. So. If you're clear on your priorities, I think it allows you to figure out where you say yes to. But I also, it's yeah. kind of like, there's so many different ways you can give, right? Through scale. You could start posting on LinkedIn and giving your knowledge to people, you know, and you might only have 20 followers today, but next week you might have 22 and next month you might have 32 and next year you might have 3000, you know, so you can share your knowledge in scalable ways as well to kind of be protective of your time as well.
0: Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. You know, there's a couple of things I just want to double down on for a sec because they're so good and they're so, so helpful, which is, you know, I think when you were talking about there's something much bigger that you're working towards. And this idea of, I love a good old reframe. I'm a big fan of the reframe. And so when you, you know, this idea of when you feel yourself feeling that tension of, you know, if the guilt creeps in about saying no grounding yourself in You're not saying no, because you're turning your back on this person. You're saying no, because there is something else that serves a a higher purpose. That's aligned with the priorities that is getting your attention. And that, you know, by saying, yes, you know, you're taking away from that, which will have, you know, an impact. And so I think that is so great as far as like reminding yourself of like, you're not saying no for no reason. You're saying no, because there's a higher purpose that's being served. And then I love so much too this, the concept of like a decision matrix. And, you know, you talked about it with the context of your business, but I think that's so valuable with regards to people thinking about their individual selves, you know, whether you are an entrepreneur or you are an executive or, you know, whatever role you hold, that you can look at your life and say, these are the things that are aligned with where I want to spend my time. These are the gray areas. And these are, you know, you know, when things come in that don't align with those, we'll call, I love that they're divergent, right? Like yeah. that makes it so much easier to be proactive instead of reactive when requests come in. And, totally. and it takes away the decision-making criteria because it's right there.
1: And I think as well, just being smart about how can you scale your time, having a template, yes. so
0: yes. having an email yes. template
1: that's like, you know, hey, unfortunately we already have, we're already at capacity with our program and our partners this year. However, this is a free resource that your community can access. Here's a blog, you know, here are free, you know, cheat sheets that your community can access. That's absolutely free. They can look at this YouTube video. You know, so my assistant, we have that. And so it takes five seconds to send it. Sometimes we say yes. I'm not not saying we don't say yes. Of course we do at times, but like, it's just, you don't have to like agonize and think about choosing the right wording. Just do it once. Right. And then make a process out of it so that it can be repeated over and over again.
0: Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's so great. Thank you for sharing that because it's really valuable. And again, it's very clear that that's a, an absolute strength of yours and there's so much knowledge to be learned from you. So, okay, well, let me ask you this because I kind of mentioned it briefly, but we haven't talked about it yet, which was Pep Talk Her is actually your second company that you founded. Right. And your first one was Sliding Door Media. Mm-hmm. So tell us about the decision to start Sliding Door. Yeah.
1: So Sliding Door Media was like a, is, I mean, it still exists. It's a media training company. So when I was a journalist and I was like, at some point I want to get out of journalism, I didn't really know how. And mm-hmm. I did get asked to do media training on the side, which I did. So I kind of developed a bit of a methodology around that. And then I was like, well, how am I going to pay my rent if I leave journalism and figure out this pep talker thing? I don't know how it's going to make money. Will it ever be a business? And so media training was like, honestly, like the lowest hanging fruit for me. I knew that I could <laughs> charge money for it. I knew people would pay for it. I knew it worked really well. And I just started it. I don't know. I quit my job and I already had a couple of clients on the side. So I knew I knew I could pay my rent. Like and I knew I would make enough money that I would be fine if I did that business for a few years. I don't know how long I ran it for it. So it kind of funded pep talker. So I would make money from that and then figure out pep talker a couple of days a week. So it was kind of like one business
0: funded the other, I would say. I love that. You mentioned that, you know, this kind of came on the heels of being ready to to leave journalism. What was the catalyst to decide it was time for a transition? Hmm,
1: It's a good question. I think I just knew it was time. I think Mm -hmm. I really, I still really loved my job. It was probably only an eight out of 10 though, when I left, I was like, Ooh. and I was kind of like, I don't, I don't, is that all there is? I kind of want nine or 10 out of 10 or 11 out of 10. That's kind of what I was looking for. So <laughs> it just kind of felt like the right time. I had a little bit of savings, you know? Yeah, it's hard. There's never an easy decision. I mean, it was easier because I had side hustled already. Yeah. So I, I knew how to make money. I knew how to send invoices for $3,000. I knew how to send invoices for $10,000. I knew that it was possible. And so mm. I think for anyone listening, who's thinking about it or kind of fantasizing about it, like I personally think like trying to start something while you have the stability of a full-time job is so good, especially in the United States where health insurance is so important. Cause you know, at this point I was living in Australia where we have universal healthcare. So I didn't have to worry about anything. Like I, I could still go to the doctor. I could still get prescriptions filled. So I appreciate that that was a privilege in and of itself, right? So I love side hustling before you make the full-time leap.
0: I I think there's such value in that. And I, I, again, another theme I seem to see again and again and again, in these conversations is this idea of like kind of the just getting started. Like you don't have to have it all figured out. You actually don't even have to know where it's completely going yet, but it's that kind of planting some seeds, seeing what sticks, maybe see what's really speaking to you. And then to your point, like the timing will reveal itself whether there's a driving force of like a, or a forcing function, I guess, or, totally. like you know, it's, it's time to go and you're ready. I love that about women. They seem to be very good at taking calculated risks.
1: Yeah. And I think positives and negatives of that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm comfortable with risk to an extent, you know, and again, probably if we looked at this, I think that comes back to how we're raised. I think little boys yeah. are raised to take more risks than little girls. Like, you know, my mom's a teacher and she tells this example, Margaret, of like, if you're supervising kids in the playground, mm. where I grew up in Australia, you kids wear school uniforms, right? So everyone's in this, like, uniform situation. And when I grew up, little girls had to wear dresses or skirts. And so mom tells the story of, like, you know, she's supervising kids in a playground. It's like a hot day. Everyone's on the monkey bars, you know, the mm. little things that you grab onto in the playground. And the girls go on the monkey bars and they hang upside down and their skirt goes over their heads. And so you can see their underwear. And so the teacher goes over, not my mum, another teacher, and says, oh, honey, hop down you can see see your knickers. And the boy gets on the monkey bars and goes along and hangs upside down and jumps around. And it's fine because they're wearing shorts. Right, right. So like, and I know this is like, it's seemingly a ridiculous example, but not really. You can see how like even small structures, like the things that we tell kids they have to wear at school, in some ways actually shift our risk appetite. And so that little boy probably has better balance and takes better risks and maybe is a better rock climber than the little girl because she didn't have as much time Mm. to make those mistakes safely and fall and get back up and try again and build that resilience. So, you know, I think it's great that we are good at taking calculated risks, but then sometimes I wonder, Margaret, whether that holds us back. Mm. whether actually, if we were raised differently, we would be more like YOLO in our business sense. And maybe we would hit more of the billion dollar home runs. I don't know.
0: Yes. Then, it's a really, really good call. You know, out. And I love, you know, what it, that example you gave is so beautiful in the sense of like, it's so clear what you're talking about, because what came to me is like attribution error. Right, Like I could see, you know, I have the lovely uh, voice that I'm breaking of, you know, whenever I did something different, there was something wrong with me. And I don't know where that comes from, but you know, as you told that example, I could easily see this little girl not realizing that like she was told to get down, you know, her underwear showing was nothing more than like a crappy uniform that she had to wear as opposed to like, she didn't belong to be on those bars. And so I think that's a great It's such a great example. And I do think there is a really interesting question of, you know, does that change? Does that make a difference? The fact that we, we do want to be more calculated in our risk and our appetite for risk is, is definitely lower.
1: Yeah. And listen, there's so many wonderful qualities about the feminine and there's so many wonderful qualities about the masculine. And I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that either of them are, I'm not saying that one is better than the other. Right. Right. But I do think that all of us can question whether we have children, whether we're proud aunties, whether we're friends of people with kids or whatever, you know, whatever it is, grandparents. I think we can all actually question and critically think about, like, how do we treat our friends, kids or how do we treat our own kids? And actually, do we kind of impose on them maybe some of our own biases that we carry from our childhood? And is that positive or negative? I don't know the answer, but I think it's worth all of us being conscious of that. Like little things, like I will really try hard now when I'm seeing my friend's kids, I won't say, like one of my friends has a little daughter called Malia and I won't say to her, oh, you look so cute today. I will try and say things like, that's such a creative decision that you made or like, that's really brave that you, you know, halved the chocolate and gave it to your brother. I know you really wanted it. Like I'll try and use words that aren't about appearance because I I really want to try and, like reward her for creative thinking or for being generous or because you know it's so easy like typically be like, oh my god you're so cute you look so beautiful and she does, and she does. but <laughs> equally I don't I don't want her to think that that's the only thing that she can be praised for right you know and I don't I don't want her to feel like that that's the only value that she brings so it's a it's just interesting to kind of question what you can do like what any of us can do right today to, to just make one tiny shift in our behavior as well.
0: Oh yeah. I'm a big fan of the, so Adam Grant's book, think again, was so meaningful to me. Uh, It's such a great read. And I really love this idea of any belief we hold of really challenging it and just saying like, why do I believe that? And there's nothing wrong with asking that question of yourself because you may say, I do have actual reasons why I believe what I believe and it's grounded in facts and I haven't learned new information to update it yet but I do think that there's such value in just questioning what we believe and is there anything substantial to it or is it just something that we don't actually know why we we hold the belief so
1: right being critical about the way it's always been yeah you know That's important, too, when it comes to, you know, obviously, from our perspective at Pep Talker, the mission of closing the pay gap and the leadership Mm. gap. Like, why are there only four males candidates being interviewed for this role? Why are there no women of color in this leadership team? Why is there a 7% pay gap that has crept in? Why is that okay? Like, okay, that's historically been the case. But why is that, you know? And it does take all of us to ask those questions. We can't just expect that the government's going to fix it or that leadership will notice it. We do have to, when we feel we have capacity, have that courageous conversation, you know, and ask hard questions.
0: Yeah. Right. You know, I think the other thing that you, when you were talking about your, your friend's daughter, it's like, it does take intention. Right. Right. Like it, it, because we are also having to break habits and social conditioning that it it does require intention and energy. And so, but I think it's really beautiful that that's something that you are doing for others and really, you know, kind of walking the the walk and, and not just talking the talk when it comes to closing the gap
1: trying to Margaret. working
0: That's (laughs) the best we can ask
1: for. (laughs) (laughs) But I would love to hear from your listeners, like, you know, Margaret and I are both on all of the socials and Instagram at pep talker. Like if you've listened to this podcast, like send me a DM and let me know, like, I'd love to hear more about your story as well.
0: Yeah. Yes. Please do that. And that's something I always encourage people to, as you're listening to this, And reach out if, if like Maggie really speaks to you, like, I always think there's such tremendous value and letting somebody know that like, you don't ever know the, the power of communicating that. And I think there's such value and like the beauty of the podcast. And what I love about it is being able to share people's stories and allowing, you know, somebody to show up as their whole self and letting others connect to them, be inspired by them, see themselves in that story. And so, you know, yes, like definitely reach out and connect
1: totally and that's like full circle because that's how we met Margaret all those it is meetings. you sent me you sent me an unsolicited LinkedIn message and you were like I heard you on that Salesforce event let's stay in touch and we have and so absolutely always reach out why not
0: I love it well you know kind of closing question here because I I love asking this as you reflect on your career up until this point mm-hmm. if there's either you know a piece of advice that has served you really well maybe in addition to that amazing networking advice or something that you have learned along the way that has served you really well, that you would want listeners to take away that, that one thing, what would you want them to, to walk away with? So I think it would be my favorite quote. And my favorite
1: quote is leap and the net will appear. Mm. I love that quote leap and the net will appear because for me, That is all about taking the chance, taking the road less traveled and taking it fearlessly. And you're probably feeling a lot of fear on the inside. And, you know, I think when I reflect on the decisions, the turning points, there's probably three major turning points in my career and they were all scary to make. Most of them were values-based decisions. Most of them, there was behavior that I didn't agree with. And so I made the decision to leave, which is scary, but I don't regret it because actually the path that that led me on means that I'm chatting with you today, right? And so, but I had to leap. I had to take a leap of faith. And I'm fortunate that the net did appear, but I do believe if you are clear on why you're making a decision, if something is no longer serving you, yes, it's scary. Yes, you might've been there for 15 years, 16 years, six years, whatever, but other brilliant things will appear in your pathway. And to really trust that, that 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 will happen for you as well.
0: Yeah. I think that's such a great call. And I think there it is, it's grounded in, and in, in things like being clear why you're making it, like you're grounded in your values. Like it's not a just, you know, jump, jump without thought, but I do, I think yeah, I, I love that so much leap in the net will appear. I just, it does, that made my heart race a little bit, but there is such truth to it. And like, you have to take a step, like that's yeah. the most important thing. And I love it too. Of like, yeah. I don't know. I hear the net will appear is like It's kind of betting on yourself. It is. And it's to your point, you know, it doesn't have to be reckless
1: leaping. It can be considered leaping, you know, and you can ask, you know, your brains, trust counselor, friends and family for advice. You can kind of feed into that decision as to when and where you'll leap. But again, in my experience, there have been things that have appeared on the path. And I think partly, honestly, that's because there was a a strong network, a, a great group of magnanimous people around me who were also happy to kind of lead me and direct me and nudge me in, in a certain direction. Right. So that makes the leaping a lot easier. I will say.
0: Yes, 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 yes. Oh my gosh, Maggie, this has been such a treat to have you on and have time with you. And I just am so grateful for the work that you're doing and the impact that you're having and the knowledge that you are sharing. I mean, we'll definitely link to all the resources Maggie's company, Pep Talker has unbelievable resources. Her Instagram account is incredible. Definitely follow her there as well. And just thank you for what you're doing to close the gender gap.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. And thanks for all the impact that you're making through telling these stories. I so appreciate it, Margaret. And I'm excited to connect with your listeners on social media for sure.
0: Yay. Yay. All right. Well, have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much. I love getting to do this podcast and it's always a special episode when I get to interview a woman who has transitioned her career into a similar line of work as to what I'm doing with Rising Tide. I love the fact that so many women out there have taken what has been a frustrating or challenging situation and are turning it into something and fuel to make a better tomorrow for others. If you want to learn more about Pep Talk Her, I've linked all of Maggie's resources here for you to ensure that that's easy. So you can either follow along, download the app or access the resources that she has available through her company. So grateful for having you here and until next week, continue rising.